Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is Minister McMillan saying hello. Welcome. Join us today. We're going to be reading Revelations 3. That's where we're starting from. And um, we're going to get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Almighty God, for this word. We ask, Lord, that you guide us in this word today and you help us to understand this word. Father, let us use this word in our lives today and each and every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your help, for your understanding, and for your love. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get started. Chapter 3. To the churches in Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Who are the seven spirits? The seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. The seven stars is the messenger or the leaders of the churches. Okay. All right. Um, I know your deeds and you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Stardust who have not soiled their clothes, and they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, the dressed in white means to set apart for God, made pure, okay? Christ promises future honor and eternal life to those who stand firm in their faith. The name of all believers are registered in the book of life. The book symbolizes God's knowledge of who belongs to him. All such people are guaranteed a listing in the book of life and are introduced to the host of heaven as belonging to Christ. Okay? Um, 
moving on to the church of philadelphia to the angels of the church of philadelphia right these are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of david what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open i know your deeds see i have placed before you an open door that no one can shut i know that you have little strength yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name and i will make those who are the synagogue of satan who claim to be jews though they are not but are liars i will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Okay, Philadelphia was founded by the citizens of Paragon, and the community was built in the frontier area as a gateway to the central plateau of Asia Minor. The Philadelphian residents kept barbarians out of the region and brought in Greek culture and language. And the city was destroyed by earthquakes in AD 17. And aftershocks kept the people so worried that most of them lived outside of the city limits. Interesting enough. Hmm. The key of David represents Christ authority to open the door of invitation into his future kingdom and after the door is open no one can close it salvation is assured once it is closed no one can open it and judgment is certain amen uh, some believers that i will also keep you from the hour of uh, trial means that will be a future turned of great tribulation for which believers will be spared. Others interpretate this to mean that the church will go through the time of tribulation and God will keep them strong in the midst of it. And then still others believe this refers to times of great distress in general and the church is suffering through its ages. Whatever the case, our emphasis should be on patiently obeying God, no matter what we may face. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to pick up in uh, 11. I am coming soon, and hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar. And in the temple of my God, never again will he leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name, and he who has it here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
Okay. Um, the New Jerusalem is the future dwelling of the people of God. Um, they will have a new civilization in the future with God's kingdom. And everything will be new, pure and secure. Um, and so many people today uh, already have received, have received their names that they speak of here. And um, there are quite a few people have also seen uh, the kingdom uh, come down. Uh, God has allowed some people to see the actual kingdom itself uh, that's coming. Um, 14, the church of Laodicea. To the angels of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of, of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am out to spit you out of my mouth and... <clears throat> You say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve, salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, and I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. To him, who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is pretty uh, plainly said. Um, lukewarm means disgusting drink of course nobody likes anything that's lukewarm unless um unless it's supposed to be that way <laughs> um the church in Laodicea has become lukewarm and distasteful and repugnant uh, the believers didn't take a stand for anything and difference had led to idleness I want to stop here for a second because this is what we're looking at today, not just in the churches, what we're looking at throughout the country. Um, people have become lukewarm. They don't have an opinion about nothing. Uh, they um, slow to act on things. 
um, they're wishy-washy. And that's not how we're supposed to be. Um, by neglect to do anything for Christ, the church had become hardened and self-satisfied, see? And this is what we're seeing today. People are only trying to satisfy themselves, uh, their situations and issues. They're not concerned with the, with the world in its entirety, with humanity in its entirety. And it was destroyed, and it will destroy itself. This is nothing more, uh, there is nothing more disgusting than a half-hearted, in-name-only Christian who is self-sufficient. Uh, don't settle for following God halfway, basically. You know, we you either follow him 100% or it's a no-go. Let Christ... Um, fire up your faith and get you into action. Uh, now, some believers falsely assume that numerous material possessions are a sign of God's spiritual blessings. That's not true. And that's where you see a lot of uh, people in the churches, they uh, all of a sudden start receiving material goods that they've wanted and they've never had. And they think, oh, God did it. God. No. Um, that's not what God's about. Yes, he will give you things that you want and things that you need. Um, but, you know, he's not a genie in the bottle and he's not going to give you everything that you want when you want it. Laodicean was a wealthy city and the churches was also wealthy, but what the Laodiceans could see and buy had become more valuable to them than what is unseen and eternal. See? You can't take this stuff with you when you leave here. This stuff stays here and it it literally starts to fall apart, die out, and become of nothing. Uh, wealth, luxury, and ease can make people feel confident, satisfied, and complacent. But no matter how much you propose or how much money you make, you have nothing if you don't have vital relationship with Christ. How does your current level of wealth affect your spiritual desire. Instead of centering your life primarily on comfort and luxury, find your true riches in Christ. Um, and Laodicean was known for its great wealth, but Christ told the Laodiceans to buy their gold from him, meaning real spiritual treasures. Okay. The city was proud of its clothes and dying industries, but Christ told them to purchase white clothes from him, meaning purchase his righteousness. Laodiceans 
Christ itself on its precious eye salves that healed many eye problems. But Christ told them to get medicine from him to heal their eyes so they could see the truth. Amen? Christ was showing the latter sins the true value was not in the material possessions, but in the right relationship with God. Their possessions and acknowledgments were valueless compared with the everlasting future of Christ's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Um, God who disciplined the lukewarm church unless it turned from its indifference towards him. God's purpose in uh, discipline is not to punish, but to bring people back to him. Okay? So when things seem to be going awry, uh, not the way you want them to, uh, you might want to check to see if God is shaking your tree and trying to get you to pay attention, to see you're going down the wrong path. Okay? God may discipline you to help you out of your uncaring attitude, but he uses only loving discipline. You can avoid God's discipline by drawing near to him again through confession, service, worship, and studying his word. Just as the spark of love can be rekindled in marriage, see? So the Holy Spirit can reunite our zeal for God when we are when we allow him to work in our hearts. Uh, so the Laodiceans had become complacent and rich. They were comfortable. And they weren't thinking about God or the things pertaining to him. Uh, they were so satisfied, uh, but they didn't have Christ in their presence. Uh, of course, Christ was there knocking, but they were too busy enjoying their worldly pleasures. Um, and they didn't notice that he was trying to enter their lives. The pleasures of this world, money, security, material, possessions, power, can be dangerous because their temporary satisfaction makes us indifferent to God and offer of lasting salvation. And this is what you see in the world of the elite those with money and power, uh, riches, they don't consider God. There might be one or two, but most don't consider him. They don't think about him. Uh, they don't follow his teachings. They don't believe. Uh, to God or to the Bible, either one. They have nothing to do with it. 
you have begun to shut God out of your life. Now leave the door of your heart constantly open to God and you won't need to worry about hearing him knock, letting him in. You're only hoping for lasting fulfillment, okay? If you are in constant tune with the Lord, you will hear him. You don't have to worry about not hearing him. It's when you get so tied up in other things that keeps you away from reading your word, from hearing the Lord, from taking time out to pray. Um, Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts every time we sense we should turn to him. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us and he wants us to open up to him. He is patient and persistent in trying to get through to us. All the way to the end, he's knocking at your door. All the way from the day you're born to the day you die. Not breaking and entering, but knocking. He allows us to decide whether or not to open our lives to him. Do you intentionally keep his life-changing presence and power on the other side of the door? Do you? <laughs> I hope not. Okay. We're going to um, move on now to chapter four. Worship God in heaven, the throne in heaven. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this? And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was the throne in heaven and with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and, and Carnellan, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircling the throne. Okay. Um, of course, the voice that John heard was Christ. Sorry, guys, I lost my place. That's why it's taking me a little bit here. Um, <clears throat> and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Colin, a rainbow assembling an emerald encircling the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. 
From the throne came flashing lights, rumblings and pearls of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a fourth was like an eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around under his wing. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. <clears throat> okay. Now, who were the 24 elders? Because they were 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and 12 apostles in the New Testament, the 24 elders in this vision probably represent all uh, redeemed of God for all time, both before and after Christ's death, resurrection. Uh, they symbolize all those, both Jews and Gentiles, who are now part of God's family. The 24 elders show us that all the redeemed of the Lord are worshiping him. Uh, <laughs> the lightning and the thunder are connected with the significance of the events in heaven. And they remind us of the lightning and the thunder of Mount Sinai. When God gave the people his law, that was in Exodus 19 and 16, the Old Testament often uses such imagery to reflect God's power and majesty, such as in Psalm 77 and 18. Um, the seven spirits of God is another name of the Holy Spirit, as in Zechariah 4, 2, and 6, where the seven lamps are equated with the one spirit. The glass was very rare in the New Testament times, and crystal clear glass was virtually impossible to find. The sea of glass highlights both the magnificence and the holiness of God. Just as the Holy Spirit is seen symbolically in the seven lit lamps, so Four living creatures represents the attitudes. I'm sorry, represents the attributes, uh, the qualities and character of God. These creatures were not real animals like the cherubim, the highest order of angels. They guarded God's throne, led others in worship, and proclaim God's holiness. God's 
attribute symbols in the animal-like appearance of these four creatures are majestic in power. The lion is faithful. The ox, intelligence. The man, the sovereignty. The eagle, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said four similar creatures in one of the visions, okay? Um, let's go over that again. These were the attributes of God in the animal-like appearances, the four creatures of majestic power, the lion, Faithfulness, the ox, intelligence, the man, sovereignty, the eagle. Okay, everybody got that. All right. When the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sit on the throne and worship him who live forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by you will there and by your will they, will, they were created and have their being, okay? Okay, uh, going back to this again, um, the point of this character is summed up in this verse, all creatures in heaven and earth will praise and honor God because he is the creator and the sustainer of everything. Amen, amen, absolutely. He is. Okay, let's move on to chapter five. The scrolls and the lamb. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writings on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open and look inside it. Uh, I'm sorry, no one was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open 
the scrolls and in seven and its seven seals. Okay. Um, books back then were not books like they are today. They were scrolls. They were paper, parchment paper, kind of uh, rolled or rolled up by two pieces of wood. They were attached to two pieces of wood and they were rolled together. And that was considered books. Uh, they were, um, let me see, I'm trying to see, they were pamperous or villium paper, uh, usually 30 feet long. Uh, it was rolled up and sealed with clay wax. Okay. Um, the scroll that John sees contains the full account of what God has in store for the world. And the seven seals indicated the importance of its contents. The seals are located throughout in the scrolls. The seals are located throughout the scroll so that as each one is broken, more of the scroll can be read to reveal another phrase of God's plan. For the end of the world, only Christ is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Okay? So there were seven uh, seals on this one scroll. And every time you break a seal, more of the information on that scroll would be revealed. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand. Why was he sent out in all parts of the earth? to see what's going on on the earth so that he knows who his people are, to see what you have done, who you are, what you're worth, okay? Everyone's understanding that. Of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Here's my thing. How many of you got prayers in that bowl? Okay. If you haven't been praying, you don't have no prayers in that bowl. What's that saying? So God knows who's praying and who's not because these prayers are presented to him. Okay. Um, let's go in and see what else the author has to say here. Uh, 
The lion, Jesus, proved himself worthy to break the seals and open the scroll by living a perfect life of obedience to God. Okay? Dying on the cross for sins of the world and rising from the dead to show his power and authority over evil and death. Only Christ conquered sin, death, hell, and Satan himself. So only he can be trusted with the world's future. The root of David refers to Jesus being from David's family line, thus fulfilling the promise of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is pictured as both the lion symbolizing his authority and power and the lamb symbolizing his submission to God's will. One of the elders calls John to look at the lion, but when John looks, he sees a lamb. Christ the lamb was the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. Therefore, only he can save us from the troubled events revealed by the scroll. Christ the Lamb won the greatest battle of all. He defeated all the forces of evil by dying on the cross. The role of Christ the Lamb will be to lead the battle where Satan's final defeat Christ the Lion is victorious because of what Christ the Lamb has already done. We will participate in the victory, not because of our effect or goodness, but because he has promised eternal life to all who believe in him. Um... Uh, John sees the lamb looking as if it had been slain, and the wounds indicate uh, inflicted on Jesus' body during his trial and crucifixion could still be seen. Jesus was called the Lamb of God by John the Baptist. In the Old Testament, lambs are sacrificed to atone to sin, and the Lamb of God died as the final as the final uh, sacrifice for all sins. Um, the horn symbolizes strength and power. Although Christ is a sacrificial lamb, he is in no way weak. He was killed, but now he lives in God's strength and power. And you'll find this in Ezekiel uh, um, I take that back. You'll find this in uh, Zechariah 1.18. Okay, in, Zach, in Zechariah 4, 2, and 10, the eyes are equivalent with the seven lamps and the one seal.
Okay, he had seven horns and seven eyes, and where are the seven spirits and God sent out into all the earth? And he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Uh, People from every nation are praising God before his throne. God's message of salvation and eternal life is not limited to. Repentance and faith is acceptable by him and will be part of his kingdom. Don't allow prejudice or bias to keep you from sharing Christ with others. Amen. Christ welcomes all people into his kingdom. All people, all people of any walk, any background, any color, any religion, any thought, all people. Um, Okay, Uh, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you are slain. And with your blood, you purchased man for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be kingdom and praise to serve our God. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. Okay, so let's define what they're saying here. The song of God's people's, uh, God's people praises Christ's work. He was slain, right? Purchased them with his blood. He gathered them into his kingdom. He made them his priests. He appointed them and reigned on earth. And Jesus has already died and paid the penalty for sin. He is now gathering us into his kingdom and making us priests in the future. We will reign with him, worship God and praise him for what he has done, why he is doing, what he is doing and what he will do for all who trust him. Uh, When we realize the glorious future that awaits us, we will find the strength to face our present difficulties. The believer, the believer's songs praise Christ for bringing them into the kingdom and making them kings and priests. While now we are sometimes despised and mocked for our faith, amen, the future will reign over all the earth. And Christ's death made all believers priests of God. Uh, made all believers uh, priests of God. Uh, the channels of blessing between God and mankind. And you'll find these 
22, one in Luke 22, 29, 30, and the other one in Peter 2, 5 through 9. Okay, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels uh, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands, ten thousands. And they, uh, they encircled the throne and the living creature and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and in the earth and under the earth and uh, on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praised and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Okay. Uh, now the angels are spiritual beings created by God uh, who have ha helped carry out the work on earth. And they bring messages um, Uh, they protect God's people. They offer encouragement. They give guidance. They bring punishment. Um, they patrol the earth. They fight the forces of evil. Um, and they are both good and evil angels. But because evil angels are aligned with Satan... They have, they have considerably less power and authority than good angels. Eventually, the man role of the good angel, I'm sorry, the main role of the good angel will be to offer continuous praise to God. Amen. The scene uh, in chapter 5 shows us that only the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is worthy to open the scrolls. And Jesus, not Satan, holds the future. Jesus Christ is in control and alone is worthy to set into motion the events of the last days of history. Okay? But he doesn't know the day that he's coming back. Only the Father, our Lord, God knows that day. Uh, this is the first of three seven-part judgments. The uh, okay. Before I get to that. Um, Let's move on to chapter 6, opening the seven seals. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider held a bow. 
and he was given a crown and he rolled out as a conqueror bent on a conquest. Uh, come, then another, ride, another horse came out, a fury red. Its rider was given power to take peace from earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given the, a large sword. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creature saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the all and the wine. And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given the power over the fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague. And by the wild beasts of the earth, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Okay, uh, this is the first of the three seven-part judgments, okay? The trumpets uh, and the bowls are the other two. As each seal is open, uh, Christ, the Lamb, sets in motion events that will bring about the end of human history. And the scroll is not um, completely open until the seven seals are broken. Uh, the contents of the scroll revealing mankind's uh, depravity and, and portray God's authority over the events of uh, human history. Uh, the four horses appears as first four seals are open. And the horses uh, represents God's judgment of people's sins and rebellion. God is directing human history, even using this 
even using his enemies to accomplish his purpose. The four horses are for stake of the final judgment yet to come. Uh, some view the chapter as a parallel to the uh, to the Albert discourse uh, in Matthew 24. The imagery of four horses as, is found as in Zechariah 6, 1 and 8. Now, each of the four horses is a different color. Some assume that the white horse represents victory and that is the rider must be Christ because Christ latter rides to victory on a white horse. But because of the other three horses related to judgment and destruction, uh, this rider on a white horse was made likely not Christ. Okay, uh, hold on. We're going to come back in a few seconds. Okay, thank you for uh, uh, holding. Um, we are back. Um, going back to uh, the, uh, what the author was saying here. The four are the part of the unfolding judgment of God, and it would uh, be uh, it would be premature for Christ to ride uh, to ride forth as conqueror. The other horses uh, represent different kinds of judgment, red for warfare and bloodshed, and black for famine and pale for death, okay? Um, the high price of wheat and barley illustrated famine conditions but the worst is yet to come. Uh, it is not clear whether the Hades was on separate horse than death or merely rode along with death. But the riders described in two and eight are commonly referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now the four riders are given power over one-fourth of the earth, indicating that God is still limiting his judgment. And it is not complete with these judgments. There is still time to, uh, it is still time for unbelievers to turn to Christ and away from their sin. In this case, the limited punishment not only demonstrates God's wrath on sin, but also his merciful love in giving people yet another opportunity to turn to him before he brings final judgment. Um, the altar represents sacrifice in the temple where animals were sacrificed to stones to atone for sins instead of animal's blood at the base of the altar. John saw the souls of martyrs who had died for preaching the gospel. And these martyrs were told that still more time uh, would lose, uh, still more, I'm sorry, still more would lose their lives to uh, belief in Christ. 
and in the face of warfare, famine, persecution, and death, Christians will be called on to stand firmly for what they believe. And only those who endure to the end will be rewarded by God. All right. Um, the martyrs are eager for God to bring justice to the earth, but they are told to wait. And God is not God is not waiting until a certain number is reached, but he is promising that those who suffer and die for the faith will not be forgotten. Uh, they will be singled out by God for a special honor. And we may wish for justice immediately as these martyrs did. Uh, but we must be patient. So God works accordingly to his own timetable and the promises justice and no suffering for the sake of God's kingdom, however, is wasted. Amen? Um, it is well worth it. The sixth seal uh, changes the scene back to the physical world. The first five judgments were directly towards specific areas, but this judgment is universal. Everyone will be afraid when the earth itself trembles. Um, the sight of God sitting on the throne and all human beings, great and small, will be terrified. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go back to the scriptures. I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was an earthquake and the sun turned black and like sackcloth made of goat hair, the whole moon turned blood red by the strong wind and the sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the king of earth, the prince, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave, and every free man. Hid in caves and among rocks in the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of wrath. Their wrath has come, and who can stand? Okay, uh, and so the sight of God and the throne, all human beings, great and small, will be terrified, okay? Um, they will call to the mountains to fall on them, so that uh, they uh, will not face judgment of the Lamb. But, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> You're going to face judgment of the Lamb regardless. The vivid picture uh, was not intended to frighten believers. Um, for them, the Lamb is gentle Savior. But those uh, generals and emperors and kings who uh, previously showed no fear of God and 
and arrogantly uh, flaunted their unbelief um, will find that they were wrong. And in that day, they will have to face God's wrath. And no one who has rejected God can survive the day of his wrath. But those who belong to Christ, who received a reward rather than punishment, do you belong to Christ? If so, you need not fear the final days. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, we're going to do maybe one more. Okay, let's move on to chapter 7, uh, 144 sealed. Now, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent all, any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of the servants of God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144 for all, uh, from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Glad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Mazana, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zubalim, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Okay? Uh, the sixth seal has been opened, and the people of the earth have tried to hide from God, saying, Who can stand? Just when all hope seems lost for the angels hold back the four winds of judgment until God's people are sealed as his own only, then will God open the seventh seal. A seal on a scroll or document identified and protects its contents, and God places his own seal on his followers, identifying them as his own and guaranteeing his protection over their souls. This shows how viable we are to him. Our physical bodies may be beaten, marred, martyred, or even destroyed, but nothing can harm our souls when we have been sealed by God. Amen? God's seal is placed on the foreheads of his servants. The seal is the exact opposite of the mark of the beast explained in 
3 and 16. These two marks place the people in two distinct categories, those owned by God and those owned by Satan. See, Satan does, uh, he does everything. He tries to do everything like God, it's like a mirror. God has a mark. He wants to put a mark, okay? All right. The greatest multitude in white robes. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count for every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the tribe and standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, the number 144, 12 by 12 by 1,000, symbolizing completeness. All of God's followers will, uh, will be brought safely to him. Not one will be overlooked or forgotten. God seals these Believers either by withdrawing them from the earth, okay, this is the call of the rapture, or by giving them special strength and courage to make it through this time of great persecution. Even though many believers have to undergo persecution, the seal does not necessarily guarantee protection from physical harm. Many will die. But God will protect them from spiritual harm. No matter what happens, they will be brought to their rewards of eternal life. Their destiny is secure. These believers will not fall away from God, even though they may undergo intense persecution. Now, here's the thing. Uh, he's literally telling you. Your bodies is of naught, and this is why we don't take our bodies with us when we leave, because our bodies are considered filthy, and they're not righteous, so they don't come with us. But what's within us, the spiritual part, this is why it's so important to get your spirit lined up right with God. Uh, this is the part that goes back to him. And uh, this is the part that's marked either for him or for the adversary. Um, these believers will not fall away from God, even though they have undergone intense persecution. And this is uh, not saying that the 144 individuals must be sealed before the persecution comes, but that when persecution begins, the faithful will have already been sealed, marked by God, and they will remain true to him until the end. Now, um, there is a difference 
lists from the usual list of the 12 tribes in the Old Testament because it is, some, it is a symbolic list of God's true followers. Uh, Judah is mentioned first because Judah is both the tribe of David and of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Uh, Matthew 1, 1, 1 and 1, 2, Levi has no, uh, Levi has no uh, tribal allotment because of Levi's work for God in the temple. Okay, and that's in Deuteronomy 18, 1. But here the tribe is given a place as reward for faithfulness. Dan is not mentioned because it was known for uh, rebellion and idolatry. Okay. Um, traits unacceptable for God's followers. Uh, the two tribes represent Joseph, usually uh, called Ephraim and Manasseh, after Joseph's sons are here called Joseph and Manasseh because of Ephraim's rebellion. In Genesis 49, for the story of the beginning of these 12 tribes. So uh, Manasseh and Ephraim you don't see Ephraim. Ephraim probably is falling under under either Manasseh or, jo or Joseph. Who is this great uh, multitude? Okay. Uh, while some interpreters identify it as martyrs described in okay. uh, Uh, people tried many methods to remove uh, guilt and sin, good deeds, intelligence, uh, and intellectual pursuits, and even casting blame on others. <laughs> this multitude in heaven, however, praises God, saying the salvation comes from him and from the Lamb, and salvation from sin penalty can come only through Jesus Christ. Have you had the guilt of sin removed in the only way possible? Um, the greater tribulation explained in several ways. Some believers refer to the suffering of believers through ages, and others believe that there is a specific time and intense tribulation yet to come in other cases. And these believers come through their uh, times of suffering by remaining loyal to God because they remain faithful, and God will give them eternal life with him. Um it is difficult to imagine how blood could make any cloth white, but 
The blood of Jesus Christ is the world's greatest purifier because it removes the stain of sin. White symbolizes sinless, uh, a sinless, a sinless perfection or holiness, which can be given to people only by death of sinless Lamb of God on our behalf. And this is the picture of how we are saved through faith. God will provide for his children, uh, children's needs in their eternal home where there will be no hunger, thirst, pain, and he will wipe away all tears. When you are suffering or torn apart by sorrows, take comfort in this promise of complete protection and relief. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In verses 1 and 8, we see the believer receives a seal to uh, protect them through a time of great tribulations and suffering. And that's verses 9 and 17. And we see the believers finally with God in heaven. All who have been faithful through the ages are singing before God's throne. Their tribulation and sorrows are over and no more tears for sins and all the sins are forgiven. And no more tears for suffering for all suffering is over. No more tears for death for all believers have been resurrected to die no more. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Chapter 8. The seventh seal of the golden censer. And when we opened the seventh seal, there was silence in the heavens for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hands. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth, and there came pearls of thunder, rumbling, flashes of light, and an earthquake. And then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burnt up. A third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Okay. The seven seals is open, and the seven trump judgment are revealed. And in the same way, the seven trumpets will announce the seven bowls of judgment. 
The trumpet judgment, like the seal judgments, are only partial. God's final and complete judgment has not yet come. A censer filled with live coals was used in the temple worship, and the censer was poured on the coals, and the sweet smell, smoke, drifted upwards, embolizing believers' prayers ascending to God. Now, the trumpet blast has three purposes. To warn the judgment is certain. To call the focus of good and evil to battle. And to announce the return of the king, the Messiah. These warnings urge us to make sure our faith is firmly fixed on Christ. Okay? The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on the third of the river and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. And the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, and a third of the day was without light, and also a third of night. And as I walked, I heard the angels that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. Okay, let's go back a little bit here. Um, since only one-third of the earth is destroyed by these trumpet judgments, this is only a partial judgment, right, from God. His full wrath has not taken place yet. That's only a partial amount. Now, wormwood is a plant with a very bitter taste, and it stands for a bitterness of God's judgment. Uh, Habakkuk used the image of a value of a vulture to symbolize swiftness and destruction. And the picture here is of a strong, powerful bird flying over the earth, warning of the terrors yet to come. While both believers and unbelievers experience the yet to come, while uh, yet to come uh, terrors described in verse 7 to 12, the inhabitants of the earth are the unbelievers who will meet spiritual harm through the next three trumpet judgments. 
and God has guaranteed believers protection for spiritual harm. Spiritual harm, not physical harm, okay? Um, and this is where people get mixed up. They think, oh, I'm going to be saved. No, not necessarily. Your spirit will be saved. Not your physical body. Okay? Remember, God did this with the spirit. Okay. Um, the martyrs called out to God, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth um, and avenge our blood as we see the world's wickedness? We too may cry out to God, how long? In the following chapters, the judgment comes at last, and we may be distressed and impatient, but God has his plan and his timing, and we must learn to trust him and to know what is best. Judgment is coming, and be sure of that, okay? Uh, that God is, uh, God is for the time he has given you to turn from your sin. He's given us plenty of time to turn away from sin and to get right before he comes. And so this is why it's taking a while. And we should be happy that he's giving us this time uh, to get ourselves right so that we won't um, put our spiritual bodies into harm's way. Amen. Amen. Okay. We are going to stop. Now. Okay. We are going to stop here today on chapter nine of Revelations, and we are going to pick up there tomorrow. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this word today. We hope, Lord, that this word was a blessing to many who were listening in and who are trying to get their lives correct and mind up with God. Father, we thank you, almighty God, for all that you have taught us today. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to guide us and to implant these things into our lives today and each and every day. Thank you, almighty God, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thinking of us always, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen, everyone. Uh, if you would like to contact me, uh, you know that you can reach out to me at mcmillian75 at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me on my Facebook page, uh, Linda Macmillan, just drop me a line, or you can reach me through this page on the podcast, just um, drop in a comment, okay? All right, everyone, this is Minister Macmillan saying, have a blessed evening and good night. Thank you.